This is Eddie Delaseppi, and you're listening to the Yuck Yucks Comedy Podcast. Hey guys, be sure to check out Yuck Yucks to watch some killer stand-up comedy clips of some of your favorite comedians that are out there performing today. Go check them out, youtube.com forward slash Yuck Yucks. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Be sure to visit us at www.yuckyucks.com. Twitter. Twitter. And follow us on Twitter using hashtag YYCP. You're listening to the Yuck Yucks Comedy. I don't think so. Welcome to the Yuck Yucks Comedy Podcast. Yuck Yucks Comedy Podcast. With your host, Jake Hirsch. All right, my little yuckamaniacs, what is going on? Yes, this is me, the lovable, the huggable, the laughable Jake Hirsch, your host. Thank you. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. How's everybody doing this week? Hopefully, everyone is doing wonderful. We uh, are well into our first week of a liberal government, and the House has not burnt to the ground. The riots have not started. The overturning of trucks and uh, and uh, uh, hipster coffee shops down in uh, Calgary have not been rioted and looted. We've made it, ladies and gentlemen. I'm very proud. Yes, we have made it. First week of a liberal government. I'm very excited about this, guys. I talked about it last week. Justin Trudeau getting nominated uh, and uh, is now the prime minister of our fine country. Uh, hey, great job. Speaking, though, of countries that are fabulous, like this wonderful one we have here uh, in Canada, this week's guest, ladies and gentlemen, James Mullinger. Yes, that James Mullinger. You might have remembered James Mullinger from his very popular shows out in uh, London, um, yes, London, the London native. Well, I should say, actually, he, he is from, uh, Maidenhead Berkshire. Maidenhead sounds like a, uh, like a hair metal band. That would be dynamite. Like, uh, this weekend live at Budokan, Maidenhead is rocking out with Metallica. Yes. Maidenhead. Wow. That sounds like old school 15th, uh, I don't know whatever century it was back then. It just sounds very Game of Thrones's. Um, anyway, James Mullinger is on the show today. And what a great guy, man. This, uh, this was just such uh, a treat to talk to him. His energy alone, it made me want to just go out and like run a lap around the block and just high-five everybody. He leaves you in such great spirits and just a, a great guy to talk to. Very, very knowledgeable uh, and he's got some really good insight into comedy and his journey uh, into comedy and what it's been like coming over from, uh, of course, uh, you know, the U.K., over to Canada. And, you know, yes, he's been here before and, and, and all that type of stuff. But what I really, really love about James Mullinger is that, and we talk about this on the show, is that he has that immigrant mentality. He's got that same, like Eddie Delisepi last week's show. We talked about it, uh, th that immigrant mentality, that wherever you go becomes your home and you try to make it the best that you can be while you're there. And hopefully that's where you're going to end up for the long term. I think James uh, made the best out of moving to a place that probably was not rolling out the red carpet for, you know, massive comedy tours and, and tons of comedy clubs he can go uh, spend time on. He had a very great career over in London, but we talk about what motivated that move, what inspired him to come over, um, and, and what it's been like 
And, and it's fascinating. He's done so much great stuff. Uh, you can see him now. We talk about this on the show. We, we, we discuss uh, his new show. The, uh, I think it's called Blimey. Uh, I know the, the first part of that is called Blimey. Uh, yes, Blimey, an Englishman in Atlantic Canada. Go watch this. And if you're not in Atlantic Canada, go on YouTube and watch it. Because it's a great, great show. You can catch clips on it. You can uh, go online and watch uh, watch this, uh, his shows. And it's just so well done that uh, it, you watch one episode and it just makes you keep on wanting to watch. It's great. And the jokes he tells, uh, the way that he communicates with uh, the audience, and just the way that you know he's he's got that raconteur feeling. He's a great storyteller. And he's very captivating. It's, it's funny, too, because whenever I talk to somebody in an English accent... I start feeling like I should be talking in an English accent myself. It's, I don't know what that is. I don't know if anybody else, if I'm just crazy. Have you ever talked to somebody on the phone with like an English accent? And I'm like, well, righto, righto. Absolutely. Now I totally agree with you. Yes. I do that every time I talk to an English person. So if you catch a little bit of me speaking with an accent in this interview, that's probably why. Uh, but no, great guy. And it's just an absolute pleasure to have him on the show. I, I, I want to see this guy live. Uh, check out his clips on YouTube and you will find out what I'm talking about. All right. On to other news. We are working on our first live comedy podcast. I hope that it would be absolutely, uh, a huge thing. Uh, I had uh, gotten the green light, uh, from my pimp, uh, Kira Williams, who, uh, is, is pimping me out, uh, for the show. And, uh, yes. She gave, she gave her hoe the permission to do a little uh, live podcast. So if this goes down, folks, and, and we're still in the infancy of, of planning this out, this is, uh, we haven't even gotten the ideas scratched down on paper yet. It's, right now it's on a bar napkin in Kira Williams' purse. Um, we're, we're forming the idea. We're, we're channeling the idea. And, uh, if we do this, it's going to, the first show hopefully will be here in Calgary. And if we have a good response then we would look at uh, trying to do it, uh, in all the cities across Canada, I think that would be a lot of fun, you know, getting your local favorite comedians, maybe make it kind of like a tonight show thing. You know, I can be Jay Leno, uh, you know, invite some guests out. Actually, Jay Leno would be bad because that's the most hated man in comedy, I think, in Hollywood right now. Uh, maybe I could be a, uh, I don't know, maybe a, uh, nah, I'd be giving myself too much credit. Anyway, listen, we're thinking about doing a show. It'd be fun if you guys came out and supported it. Uh, let me know if you guys are interested in coming out and watching a live show. I think it'd be a lot of fun. We'd, we'd get, like I said, some local comedians, and we just have fun. We'd tell some great stories up on stage. So... With that being said, uh, any other news dropping, uh, I will be sure to update you via Twitter. Uh, be sure to check us out there at Jake Hirsch EG. And of course, uh, you can catch uh, everything at yuckyucks.com as well. Um, but yes, throw us a tweet. Let us know you're out there. I, you know, we get a ton of retweets and favorites and everything. And I'm very supportive and appreciative of that. And I love it. And I just ask that you keep on going. Hashtag YYCP, folks. Uh, and be sure to click on iTunes and be sure to click on SoundCloud and listen to these shows. We're doing, we're killing it. I'm not going to kiss your ass this week. I, I did enough of that last week. We're killing it on the charts. We're crushing it on the what's hot uh, on iTunes. Just keep it going. Uh, but okay, let's go talk to James Mullinger. Excuse me, I'm not at my... 
tell you what, mutual made, big time. <laughs> How are things out in New Brunswick today? Is or is that where you're at right now? It is indeed. Yeah, no, they're, they're beautiful. I mean, obviously, um, fall is, is is gradually becoming winter before the the brutal, brutal East Coast uh, winter that will be uh, <laughs> upon us soon. But uh, but it's, things things are good here. Yeah, can't complain. Oh man, you know what? There's so much to talk about. And just first off, man, it's uh, like I said, an absolute honor having you on the show. And and just being able to to hear your comedy and and be able to talk to you finally. Uh, I know you made a move out to New Brunswick. So for people that don't know, just to kind of give them some yeah. background, you moved to New Brunswick, but you're originally from the UK. Exactly, yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm from London, England. Uh, I was um, working there as a, as a stand-up comedian for about 11 years. I also did other things. I, I, worked, I was the comedy editor of GQ magazine. Had a couple of, of, of TV shows about, about different things, but my wife is from New Brunswick, and we had our second child um, in London. And obviously, London is an incredibly expensive and busy place to live. It's a, right. it's a wonderful place to live in your twenties and so forth. But um, uh, we reached a point where we, where we were ready for a change. Right. And um, you know, I've always been quite um, career-driven, but but this decision was was obviously not based on a, it wasn't a career move to come to New Brunswick. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, it wasn't uh, it wasn't. Someone didn't say to me, "Hey, you know what the new Hollywood is? New Brunswick. You should get your you should get your ass over to New Brunswick. That's where it's at." Um, um, it, it, so it was it was very much a quality of life decision, and and sure. I kind of felt like you know I was in a position, or my stand up was I was in a place that I could. Uh, travel and do the work like you know right. most, most of the work that i do was on the road anyway and that was kind of the point was was what was the point of being based in the most expensive city in the world and being in a in a, in a small place sure. when we um if i'm away all the time you know so right. let's go and be based somewhere nice near where my wife's from um obviously that then means free childcare from um, all of her family so that was a factor right um and so that was the big plan. We'd, we'd come here, you know, obviously the, the property is cheap, the people are lovely, the, 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 the scenery is beautiful. Um, so, and then I would go away and, and, you know, be on the way for a couple of weeks to come back. So, it, so really the big twist and surprise in this whole story is just how much work I've been getting within New Brunswick and uh, within uh, Atlantic Canada, which was not something I expected. I mean, continuously. One, you know, I didn't expect it anyway. Sure. But also a lot of, uh, Canadian comedians, and they weren't being negative, but a lot of Canadian comedians in London were saying to me, you know, uh, we've come here for work, and trust me, we were in big cities. You ain't going to be busy in New Brunswick. Um, <laughs> um, but I guess there's um, a, a lot to be said for the kind of, um, you know, I, mean, I wouldn't describe myself as a big fish, but, but you know, to, to, for want of a better phrase, big fish, small pond. Sure. And um, I think... The example I've been used to people that, that's kind of odd about some of the advice that I got is that if, if there was a city somewhere uh, without a plumber and then you met a plumber and he said, I'm going to move to that city and, 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 everyone, and no, no one would say to him, oh, don't go there, mate. There's no plumbers there because if there's no plumbers there, well, guess what? This guy is going to be 
rushed off his feet because there's a lot of shit that needs unblocking out of China. So, <laughs> That's again, dynamite, man. Absolutely. Yeah, so, I, because you, I mean, you did. I mean, you had a pretty amazing career over in the UK. But but I've you know, you've you've often stated that it's not the most ideal place to enjoy success. Yeah. It's, it's a constant hustle. Never being home, it, always it on the road. You know, it's very expensive to live there. But, you know, you also took a very huge leap, and, and I totally get that analogy. I think it's I think it's a brilliant thing that when there's a niche in the market and, and you look at the yeah. place and you say, listen, I mean, it's not oversaturated either with a lot of comedians, but that, that yeah. transition must have been a, a huge one for you. Um, it, I, I guess it was. Um, I mean, because you, you moved from the States, didn't you? I did. Uh, I did. And, yeah. and people say the same uh, thing. They're like, why would you come to Canada? Yeah. I was like, I was probably the only American to come to Canada to try to become famous over here. But I think you <laughs> stick out more. I think you stand out more yeah. over here. De- definitely. There's definitely that. And obviously the other thing is people are, are insanely, as I'm sure you, you find, you know, uh, and found when you moved here, people are insanely friendly here. And there's definitely a different attitude to immigrants here. Like right. here... Um, you come here and you're a superstar for, for coming here and everyone uh, loves you for coming here. In England, I'm not saying that England's riddled with racism, but I am saying <laughs> that generally, if you're in a pub and there's a North American voice or indeed any foreign accent, mm-hmm. some Londoners, not all, but some are kind of scowling at them, like, what right. are you doing here? Right. You know, um, my wife, as a, as a Canadian living in London, of course she always got the, you know, are you American thing? Um, uh, which is one thing, but she definitely was subject to people, um, you know, thinking she's a rude American immediately, right, right. Like judging her based on an accent. And of course, it's far worse for, for, for other ethnicities um, mm-hmm. within London. Whereas I find that Canada is just a very welcoming place for that reason. Sure. Um, that wasn't. I don't, I don't think I'm answering your question. I can't no, no, you are. <laughs> you are though. No, I think oh, okay. I think it all I think it all ties <laughs> in because uh, you know, like. You know, like you said, I mean, it, it's it's one thing to go to a, a place where, where I mean, there there are those kind of barriers mm-hmm. to to getting into yeah. that comedy scene and experiencing some of that success. And and like you said, a lot of people don't make that move the reverse way. I mean, you find a lot of comedian uh, comedians in Canada that that kind of just feel like, listen, inevitably there's going to be a ceiling I'm going to reach here, and there's going to yeah. be a place where I can't go. Where you really just kind of carved yourself out a really interesting thing. And we're going to talk about that, about, you know, the show and stuff like that. But, but you really have found a way to kind of carve yourself a nice place in the community there and the surrounding areas. I mean, that, that also takes a lot of, a lot of guts, a lot of courage to kind of take that risk. I I mean, I mean, that's very kind. And, um, and yeah, I mean, I guess you're right in respect that it it was definitely, it was definitely a risk, but it was also, um, you know, it was it was for the fam it was for my family the right move and I think you know to get philosophical about it what's kind of odd about it is it was kind of the first time in my life that I'd made a decision based on anything other than kind of personal gain slash career slash anything else I, it was a it was a and so you know it, to, to get philosophical about it it's kind of that thing of the first time I made a decision that was family based it then had this odd knock-on effect of making everything else kind of fall into place sure. and i must say i mean obviously you know i mean this is um you know i i have to, you know I've, I've listened to your uh interview with mark mark breslin many times mm-hmm. and uh you know a lot of this is obviously is obviously thanks to him as most people's success in this country is sure. um in the i arrived here uh i arrived in canada on the 14th of february um last year and we before coming here we knew i knew that obviously the dream was to get in with the upchucks that was the that was the, that was the dream as it right. is for all comics in fact funnily enough nine years ago 
I got married in Toronto because uh, it was kind of a, a safe middle point for uh, all of our friends and family who are in either New York or, or New Brunswick or London. Right. So we did it in Toronto, and we, but oddly, and I got married on the on the, the terrace of the Easy and the Fifth restaurant. I don't know if it's still there. <laughs> wow. um, but but um, but the odd thing is, is when I was giving my vow nine years ago, I could see the yuck yuck sign of the club, right? <laughs> and I no basically, <laughs> yeah, and. Um, <laughs> So to, to, to say that club has a has a very big uh, part in my heart. I mean, it is an understatement. I mean, that I just um, and I've basically been doing stand up for a year at that point. I started in 2005 and I got married in 2006, and so yeah. I'm giving my vows, looking at that sign, thinking one day, one day. <laughs> what um, an amazing and, yeah part of fruition <laughs> there. That's that's that's, that's awesome. Yeah. And so really, it was that first week when I got here. I spent this week, you know, sitting. Um, I spent this first week in 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 Toronto, want you know to showcase for Mark, and he very kindly not only came out to see me, but as soon as I came off stage, kind of pulled me aside, and I'd of course read uh, and heard in interviews from everyone, from Russell Peters, and you know about this that moment when Mark sits you down and kind of essentially tells you what you can do to improve and also what you're doing wrong. Sure. And and I can honestly say that that advice that he gave me in the, and again, I mean, for an incredibly busy man, gave me so much time, you know, an hour right. and a half. Right. Um, uh, all of the things that he said to me are still things that pop in my, I mean, last week I, I, I filmed my second uh, DVD in a theater here in St. John, a, a thousand theater. And I'm, 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 I'm kind of behind that curtain Still thinking, right, remember what Mark said, like, talk slowly. They're not going to laugh if they can't understand what you're saying because of your stupid indication. <laughs> <laughs> that's not what he said, but, like, that's what he was getting at. <laughs> oh, man, that's amazing. You know, and, and but let's, let's you know, taking back a bit, though, to the start of all this. I mean, like you said, you started doing stand-up in 2005, but... But yeah. you had a pretty remarkable first year doing stand-up. I mean, you'd reached the finals in three national competitions, and then you were yeah. you were featured on Jimmy Carr's uh, DVD as well. I mean, how was that for breaking out in your first your very first year? Um, um, I think the, the, the interesting thing about that kind of thing happening within those first few months, within the first year, is that it gives you a very unrealistic um, expectation of where your career is going to go. And, <laughs> and, 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 and that's, that's the, the honest because, because I think the, the weird thing about stand-up is that I think the more years you do it, the more realistic you get and the, the, obviously the smarter you are. Right. So, for example, there are things that I felt um, eight years ago that I was owed and that I should be doing. But now if you ask me, are you ready to do that? I would say, let's give it another two years. Right. 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 Do, do, do you see what I mean? Sure. Yeah. And I'm, I'm talk- I guess I'm talking here about, you know, I'm like, oh, yeah, I mean, there's no point either. I'm talking about things like a Just for Laughs televised gun, right? Mm-hmm. Like a thing like that. The, the, the me eight years ago, if I'd have been asked, will you do that? I'd have gone, fuck yeah, of course I'll do that. Sign me up. Do it now. Do it now. Of course, of course I'm ready. Of course I'm ready, right? If you ask me now, do you want to do it? I would go, you know what? Everyone's going to see this. It's going to be doing the rounds for years. Do you mind if we wait another year or at least two years just so I can just get this just right? Like, like so, so you become more realistic and sure. more sensible the, the longer you do this. So with that in mind, I'd say that, like, I've been doing stand-up for three, four months when I entered Jimmy Carr's comedy idol. And of course, it's a very nerve-wracking experience where you go into this room and he sat there with this panel of, of, of comedy experts and comedians. And it's just like you know, American Idol and all those things. Sure. And um, I did my set. He liked it. We went through various stages, but, but ultimately I made the final. So 
about five, six months after starting doing stand-up. And, of course, the weird thing is when you start to do stand-up, and I noticed this in other new comics, you feel like the world's been waiting for you to start. And right. guess what? The world is the, what the world is really thinking is Jesus Christ. Yeah, just what the world is. Another fucking comedian. Right? Great. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's the same thing in Los Angeles when people say I'm moving out to L.A. to make it. I'm like, we don't need any more waiters, yeah. bro. We're good. We're good, man. I don't need anybody to serve me more iced tea. We're good out here. <laughs> that's, that's exactly <laughs> it. That is exactly it. Right. And then they tell you with such a sense of pride, like you're going to go, yes, yes, we've been waiting for you to do that. And everyone's thinking, oh, God, really? Do we another waiter you know and um and and it's that that so i it's six months in i'm i'm at the comedy store jimmy card introducing me i'm being filmed for his dvd the, the gig goes you know well right. um ish like it, it was fine but of course you know you have a you have an inflated idea at the time um you know what was interesting was of course off the back of doing this of course because and, and all it really did is i guess i kind of thought i did that and i thought right i'm on jimmy's dvd right okay now i can start doing all the clubs now i can start doing this right. and again to use that that analogy again you know there were some clubs which again I, I stupidly then said yes i'll come and do the comedy store on a saturday night and i'll do a 10 minute spot and i right. basically as good as got booed off because doing 10 minutes in a competition hosted by jimmy carr of new comedians is very different to going up against the big boys on a Saturday night. Sure. Right. And, and, and so it's this kind of, it's this kind of gulf of, and I could equate it to like, it's like when you try a new material, I, I, I organized and in London, I did a lot of new material nights. And one of the things I was worried about coming here was, uh, would, I, would there be any ways of me testing new material? So now what I do is I put on lots of work in progress shows. Right. And it's that kind of gulf between when you try a joke at a new material night. So I'm up on stage, I warm them up with five minutes of old stuff. Then I pull out my paper and I say, right, okay, here's my new stuff. Um, you can try a joke at one of those nights three or four or five times and it kills every time. And you're like, yes, this is nailed. Then you insert it into the middle of a headline club set at Yard. And you notice there's a slight dip in the laughter from the, from the jokes on either side of it. Mm-hmm. And, and it's actually that thing where it's a very good joke for a new material night, but it's not quite good enough for an actual headline Saturday night club set. Right. And it's kind of the same uh, equation with, you know, Jimmy's introducing us. He's saying these people are all new, give them lots of love. So they are. That's a different crowd to a Saturday night. We've paid twenty pounds to come in, sure. and right before us, you know, you've got had some heavyweight like you know Mike Wilmot or, or, or Sean Collins or you yeah. know Peter Hanson on before. Sure. Um, you know, you're not gonna you're not gonna be so. It, I think it, yeah, I thought this is it. I've made it, and the reality was all it meant was doing well in that Jimmy Carr thing. It meant that when I emailed a promoter about getting an open spot. It meant that rather than wait 12 months to get the gig, I would get it in eight months. Right. <laughs> that, was, that, that was, that was, um, now that's not to, you know, disparage the competition anyway, but that's the reality of stand up. And of course, like most people, I went through very, you know, you go through stages of, of wanting to give up. And, and, you know, I, I would say more so than most. I think I remember one of the interesting things you and Nikki Payne talked about was how everyone everyone has their own way of getting good. Like some right. comedians say, "Oh, don't don't do a course," you know, you, you keep it pure. And of course, well, that's not. Everyone has their own path sure. and their way to to find their, their voice, for want of a, of a less pretentious phrase. But um, I the one thing I'd say about myself is is that I took way longer 
than it takes most people to get any good. Like, like, and that's you know, I'm not one of those people that believes there's any, any such thing as a, as a comedian with, with funny bones. Like, I believe every comedian that is good because they work their ass off at it, sure. and they they toiled and they did gig after gig. Um, I definitely went beyond that point of like most people when they've been bombing for four years, they kind of go. That's it. This ain't for me. Right. I, I, I think I kind of, I was, I was shit for longer than <laughs> most people. Um, you took it to a new like, level. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I took it to a new level. Like, like I, I didn't broke the record. So I would say I probably have, I, I probably have in my, uh, in my gigs, in, in the amount of gigs I've done, I've probably had more bad gigs than any other professional comedian in that anyone else, if they died for three years straight, they would give up. I kept plowing, plowing. Like, so, I mean, I think it just shows a kind of, a, a form of insanity, really, that I did that. But um, but do you but need I'm, that, but though? But do, but, but do you need that baptism in, in failure? And do you need that that in order to motivate exactly. you to the next level? I mean, do you, is that was that a motivator? Yeah, oh, oh, absolutely. I mean, this is this is the thing. I think this is the thing that I love so much about the craft of stand-up is that unlike almost any other industry, there's, there's no such thing as a bad comedian, a bad successful comedian. Like anyone that is anyone that's making a living from comedy is good at what they do. You might might not like what they do. But they are good at it because they make audiences laugh. Because the only way you get booked is by making audiences laugh. And yet, in almost every other industry, there are people that are that are shit at what they do. There are terrible politicians who cannot do their jobs. There's terrible CEOs. There's terrible bank managers. There's terrible actors. There's terrible TV presenters. But but stand up is such an immediate and pure art form. But there's no one that is shit at stand up and right. making a living from it. Right. Like, and right. there are. Obviously, successful comedians that, that you might not like and I might not like, but there's no denying that when they get on a stage, the audience in front of them are laughing. Therefore, they are they are good at what they do. For sure. um, so I I love that um, kind of purity of it, and I also love the fact that there's no one doing stand up that doesn't love it because again, all of those industries I just mentioned, you can fall into those things. There are people who fall into acting. Right. They, they, they have a lucky break. There, there are people, and again, not many, but you know, it, it does happen. There are CEOs that fall into it because sure. they're, the, they're, they're, you know, Next the Murdoch's son or whatever. Right. Yeah, right. exactly. Um, but in stand-up, no one falls into it or has a lucky break. Everyone that's doing it has been through it. Like I mentioned, I mean, for me, the years of dying were longer, but everyone goes through at least two years of that. Right. So really, no one, no one goes through two years of driving around the country, losing money day in, day out, um, getting booed off stage over and over for a thing they don't absolutely love. Right. And, and, that, um, and, and, and that, to me, was the weirdest thing when I had to kind of tell I told my wife and, or then girlfriend in 2005 that this is what I wanted to do from now on. Right. Was, you know, I had a... Uh, a day job at a magazine at the time we hardly saw each other anyway and it's that weird thing when you come home one day and you say uh just so you know um i know we don't see much of each other now well from now on uh five nights a week i'm going to be driving around the country doing stand-up comedy and then right. they say oh well that's good uh we'll have a bit of extra money oh no no sorry we'll have less money <laughs> because every time i do this it's going to cost us about 200 pounds because it'd be 100 pounds in gas 100 pounds for a hotel or uh, so actually, I'm going to be paying money, <laughs> to go. £20 a night, to, to go and do a gig to five people. And just to let you know, when you do see me for three hours 
a week, I'm going to be so depressed because I'm going to have been booed off night after night after night for the next five years, right? I mean, that's... That's, that's, that's a hell of a thing to yeah. sign up for, man. It, it really is, right? <laughs> um, but, but that's the wonderful thing about it. I think that's what's so gorgeous about it is that, you know, when you put comedians in a dressing room, uh, they've all got that bond. In the, they all went through that that experience together, sure, you know, sure. and um, no, no one, you can't, you, you don't sit in a dressing room and there's the comedian there that suddenly climbs out of bed one day and said, I'm going to be a stand-up and then they were selling out the Air Canada Centre. Like that, that doesn't exist. So, right. so there's actually, even though people might resent someone's success or whatever else, they can't deny the fact that the person paid their dues. Absolutely. I mean, like even looking mm-hmm. back at some of your earlier career, I mean, you were in a lot of positions where, you know, you interviewed a lot of people, you, you sat down, yeah. you did comedy a lot of people. I mean, just even looking yeah. back at some of you, I mean, you're rubbing elbows with, you know, Clooney and, and Tom Cruise mm-hmm. and, you know, Matthew McConaughey, Cameron Diaz. I even saw a picture with you with uh, Bradley Cooper. I, I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Is that is that something that that like you know you you know obviously did at one point in your career? Did you feel though that you were starting over a bit when you came to Canada, or did you feel like, hey, like this is the path that I'm going to go? And and you know as you mentioned before, it was a very unselfish thing to do for the sake of yeah. you know having your family and and having a nice community to for your kids mm-hmm. to grow up in and all those types of things and and even being around yeah. longer. But did you feel in a certain way that 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 you were starting over? That's a very, a very good question. Um, yeah, I, I guess I, I, I did. In um, I definitely came here without any expectation. Like I didn't. I knew that I was starting all over again. And again, this kind of goes down to the um, story I was telling about kind of showcasing for Mark when I got here. Right. Is that um, I didn't come here and kind of you know I knew I couldn't walk in here and not that I would have wanted to, but I knew I couldn't walk into Canada and go right here I am I've done this. You know, um, where's where's my name in lights kind of thing. I knew that wasn't. I knew I was starting again. Right. And to be honest, I had a, I had something of a of a game. And the one thing I knew is is that I, you know, I I was never going to work in an office. I knew I I knew I didn't want that. And it was kind of like you know what, if it's not working here after a couple of years, I'd rather be doing construction jobs on my day off and be out in the sun right. than, than anything else. So, so so I really was in my head um, aware of the fact that it might not. Um, be possible here sure. um and the thing again so and, and for me i kind of thought well maybe i'll have to i'll have to be flying around the country uh doing um you know like open spots for yuck yucks right. just to kind of show them what i can do sure. and uh, again the, the the amazing thing about the way in which they they nurture and take care of talent is that that process was fairly quick in that they could have as the only you know the only and the main club chain here they could have easily had me do that and they didn't they 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 let me go out there show them what i can do mm-hmm. and i was i was working for them fairly quickly and now it's kind of you know it's what i look forward to i look forward to doing the the the, the yuck yucks in st john's newfoundland the one in halifax mm-hmm. and all of the lovely things they get me and of course i'm, I'm doing toronto uh, at the end of this month uh, which will be my first time headlining there but but also my kind of first time there since that that time showcasing for mark so right. um I, but yeah, I mean, to answer your question, it, it was definitely a feeling of starting again. So to be honest, all the stuff that's happened in this last year, I, I, I can't really get my head around. Like, yeah, you know, so, I mean, the Canadian so much, comedy award thing. Yeah, it's like 18 months. It, and given my plan was that by now, I would hope that I would be getting a bit of paid work by now. Right. Um, right. Yeah, it's, it's been um, a roller coaster. And I really can't, I really can't get my head around. Because um, I think, going back, to your, going back to the point you were making before, so many people think, well, I want to do, I want to do comedy, so I, I must leave 
the town I'm in and I must go to Toronto, I must go to, to London mm-hmm. uh, or, you know, or Montreal or whatever else. But of course, you know, when you go, I mean, one of the things for me in London was, was there was this, there's more opportunities just actually means more competition. Right. So right. yes, you've got lots of companies looking, you know, like, I mean, obviously most communities make the bulk of their earnings from, from corporate work. Well, sure. in, in London, if you want to hire, you know, a 30-something uh, comedian, a 30-something English comedian with two kids. Well, guess what? There's a 1,000 to choose from, which, of course, drives the price right down. Well, if you're a business in New Brunswick and you want to hire a 30-something English comedian with two kids, well, there's one, right? (laughs) (laughs) You know, know, uh, know, so in terms of negotiating and and bargaining power, it's a whole different... um, Thing, but yeah, I mean, it, it did feel like starting again, but in a good way. Right. And that's what I often say to people when they say it must be a big change coming from London to here. They, I, I think they kind of think it must have been a negative. But mm-hmm. obviously, you know, I, I didn't come here on witness protection. I wasn't forced to come <laughs> here. You know, it's, which is what a lot of people think. Like people in St. John, here in St. John, they say to me like, "Oh, you moved from London, St. John? Why?" Right. As if like I, someone like bundled me in a bag and like I'm, I'm in some CIA rendition program and I'm here being tortured <laughs> by day to give up. Taliban secrets or something. I mean, um, and, and, and yet the, yeah, the reality is, is that uh, what I always say is that I, it's only a change in the same way that winning the lottery is a change. You know, I was living in a, in, in a busy city that I really wasn't enjoying anymore, couldn't handle the crowds, couldn't handle the stress. Um, and, and to suddenly be here with all this outside space, um, you know, a house on the water, which would just have been obviously unthinkable in England. Right. Um, garden, the, the kids are happy, the fa- you know, family are good. All of that, just immediately when I got here, was enough. And then when obviously the, the, the work um, started taking off as well, it's it, it really been a... I really uh, think like it's it, that, it, yeah, like it's, it's that attitude though that, that really... Define. I mean, I think it's paramount when, when I mean, when someone comes to a new country like that, and and even though you know, I know your wife has got you know ties there and roots there. Uh, mm-hmm. I was just having this conversation with uh, Eddie uh, Delisepi uh, about him going oh, yeah, to yeah. Los Angeles, and 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 how do you mm-hmm. fit in? How do you you know kind of do you know kind of embrace that melting pot? And and I think Eddie said it, and I think that's pretty much where you're at as well. But. It's just one of these things where it's like I've got an immigrant mentality of where I go to a country, I'm going to embrace it. And either I can sit there and and and, you know, focus on all the hardships and breaking into, you know, this this uh, this type of, uh, uh, you know, uh, area of, of, uh, you know, doing comedy and trying to, you know, earn your stripes and all that type of stuff. Uh, Or you can complain about, oh, I wish it was easier. I could back home. I was more well known or I had a bigger name or or people knew who I was. But it's really about embracing where you are and making the best of it when you are there. That's exactly it. And literally, I mean, I mean, you, you absolutely hit, hit, hit the nail on the head there. And, and of course the thing is you can exploit that and make that the feature of your act. And that's the thing, I mean, for any comedian to be the outsider is the, is the dream. I mean, mm-hmm. we all want to be the fish out of water looking right. in, you know, I used to love watching uh, Canadian comedians come uh, I don't know if you know the comedian Ian Bag. I remember watching him at the the comedy store in London about eight years ago, actually, or maybe more. When I just and he was actually over visiting mm-hmm. and doing the comedy store for a weekend and, and absolutely storming it. And I remember watching him, and it was amazing. People just loved him coming here and going, "What's you know, what the hell is this?" Like, right, like, right. and a lot of it he was actually asking. Like, he was quite confused during, <laughs> like, asking people things. They, they would say something, and he was like, "Really, that's a word here, or that's a and." 
And we absolutely loved having this guy come in and like laugh at the insanity of certain you know traditions and so forth within London, which is basically what my my act has become here. I mean, it's pretty much just all about what it's like to come here. Um, as an outsider and pointing stuff out. And that's the dream. I mean, I mean, you know, in London, I would, I would sit down and write themed shows each year. Like I did one about feminism. I did one about my school days. I did one about following your dreams. <laughs> it just kind of faded <laughs> out, but okay. So sorry. So you were saying, uh, that, yeah, you've got yeah. the themes around the shows. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I, I always kind of found a theme so that I could write around it because I, I always found it difficult um, like most comedians, if I walk around and I notice things, and I, I, I write them down and so forth. Right. But I often found it hard when I would just sit at the desk and think, right, let's write some jokes. Right. So I would pick a theme and then I would work around the theme and I would come up with true stories. A lot of what I talk about on stage is true stories about my own life. And I mm-hmm. often am quite loath to crowbar in just just jokes for jokes sake like I, I i really like the stories to be true so what i try and find is beats within the story right. to create the regular punchlines that are required but without just crowbarring in something obvious um and so coming here i've not needed to kind of think of these these themes because the, the theme is just always an englishman moves and he runs right and right. um so what you were saying is, is absolutely right which is that both Socially, emotionally, and also in your act, you just embrace the place that you're at. Um, that's re- really the the key to success when you when you move to a new place. You're, you're right. Yeah, I mean, but like some of your stand up style is is, and that's what I find really fascinating. Is I, I one, I love your comedy, but your stand up oh, style, you. yeah, absolutely is is great. That in a way that you really engage and you really talk to the crowd, and it's a real art form being able to do that. I mean, being able to complement comedy with being a real raconteur can be really hard because mm. you're asking that crowd to really pay attention to what you're saying. And in some bar yeah. crowds, it's really tough. Because people are, you know, they're talking, they're engaged with, you know, what, you know, what drink order am I putting in and stuff like that. But it's taking a real risk to have those people wait for that setup that, to that joke and, or, or that, that story and, and have them, you know, being able to capture and captivate the audience's attention is, is a real yeah. art form. Thank you. And, and, and I'll tell you what, I mean, it's, it's interesting you say that because that, um, that's a, a big thing in I've definitely been able to play with that more here because I mean the one great thing about learning your craft in in the UK and in British comedy clubs is that British comedy clubs are while obviously lovely and beautifully run English people are just like rampant alcoholics like beyond <laughs> any comprehension like like I could not believe when I came here and discovered that you know that the, the shows run 90 minutes straight through um, without an intermission, and that you can have a table service during a show, and for it to be, um, you know, for it to not interrupt the show at all. Right? I couldn't I have that. They, yeah, you couldn't have that in England. What you do in England, right? If you've got three acts and an MC, MC comes out, first act comes out, every act basically does twenty minutes. No one does longer because the alcoholics wouldn't sit there for that long. And basically, you announce the show's about to start. The whole audience runs to the bar. They stockpile like three pints for the 20 minutes, right? You, you go up, you do 20 minutes, they pound those drinks. We then call an intermission. They all run to the bar, stockpile more drinks, get shots in, blah, 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 blah. Come sit back down. Um, another 20 minutes, and they run to the bar again. And we literally have to break up the night to allow the Brits just to down throw as much Jaeger bombs and tequila shots and pints of lager down their throat. I would hate fucking headline there, man. I would hate yeah, that. I, I, I mean... Yeah, it is brutal, and 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 there's no, you know, I mean, 
obviously, you know, once you've got them, and it's not to say that they become aggressive, but they are. Or, you know, statistically, you're sure. more likely to get trouble right. when 200 or 400 people are <laughs> fucked off their faces, <laughs> right? You know, it's just, and, and it's weird. I, I haven't really, I mean, obviously, I've seen people drinking, but I've never, I've, on, in a year of working here, even in Newfoundland, I don't see anyone, like, hammered, like, right, people, right. like, normal drunk, like, right. six, seven pints drunk. I don't know if that's normal, that's normal to me. Sure. Some pints like, but not, like... Not like three bottles of wine before they left the house, five Jaeger bombs, uh, <laughs> you know, before they even arrive at the club drunk. And um, and so it, it, it is. So I guess what, what the point I'm trying to get to is that is that in England you really have to pound out the punchlines, right. and and when you come out on stage, you are. And that was interestingly, and it's so interesting you asked ask that question because that was one of the first things again that that, that Mark Brennan said to me was um, he said he said I know why you're doing this I know why you do it it's because you know you've learned your craft in the British comedy clubs but he's like you don't have to like rattle through it so right. quickly he was right. like you, you ran out on that stage you grabbed the mic and you went bah, 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 and you, and you he was like take your time right. he was like this is not like England you know right. Canadian audiences will. I mean, you know, Canadian audiences are extremely discerning mm-hmm. and they know good comedy. Sure. But they are willing to respect the craft to get to it. If you're, if you're, if you're shit, they'll probably rightly boo you off. Right. As right. they should. Right. But, but they will give you a chance to get the joke out. Um, uh, and, and so that's definitely something which I've, has made me become a better comedian, being able to come here and perform and be able to come out and actually, rather than coming out going, right, quick, quick, got to get a joke out before they all beat the shit out of me and throw their pints at me, or, you know, <laughs> all of that fear, just coming out and basically, it, it's, a, it's a beautiful feeling to come out. Like, no other art form has to deal with that. A painter doesn't have to try and, you know, paint his work mm-hmm. with people chucking stuff and shouting abuse at him. Sure. Um, and, and, and if he did, he wouldn't paint as good a picture. And it's exactly the same with stand-up. When you come out, and this is what I find in, in all comedy clubs across Canada, but obviously, you know, primarily Yuck Yucks clubs because they are, you know, the, the best run and they're run by people that love comedy and so forth. Right. Um, you come out, that audience has, has, has paid money to laugh. They've not paid money to get drunk. They've not paid money to be dicks. They've paid money because they love stand-up. Right. So um, that gives you... I, I, I feel like I've had, the best, I've had the best possible training doing it in the kind of most brutal... Um, environment. <laughs> exactly. And then to be able to kind of um, bring those skills here and then, and then kind of improve in an environment that is more conducive to stand-up comedy, I, I feel is, is, is a good thing. Wow, man, that's that's incredible, James. Let's talk about your new show, man. I mean, it's absolutely brilliant. Uh, it's called Blimey, an Englishman in Atlanta, yeah. Canada. Uh, it's such a great premise for the show, man. But uh, and, and, and what I really loved about this is that you said that the, you know the shows are planned, but the comedy isn't scripted. And 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 how challenging is that, man? To 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 get up on in a small town and 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 just do the crowd work. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, it, 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 I think what's challenging, the challenging thing is actually that because we are, because it's, you know, it's, a, it's only you know, to show that they're in Atlantic Canada on TV, but then it's obviously available to watch online anywhere in the world, which, sure. is, which is wonderful. Right. And it was a lovely thing when I came in. And, you know, essentially the show is about uh, the maritime is Atlantic Canada. And then we got the first viewing figures in with all of the stats and so forth. And, of course, you know, something like 70% of the view, viewing views were from London right, or, from, right. or from, from England. Sure. And, um, and I just thought that was just wonderful that all these people who probably never even heard of New Brunswick before are getting to see it. Um, <laughs> now, the, 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 the first season, we basically went around various 
uh, essentially, it was the first thing was basically following me doing shows in places that I couldn't get my head around. So the, actually, the first episode was a show in a vineyard, which was part of the thing that I had to get my head around here. I'm living in New Brunswick now. I can't do what I did in England, which is get a booking through and go, what's that? A vineyard? Fuck that. That will right. never work. I'm right. not doing that. Get, sure. get me a club. I couldn't do that. I had to go, well, let's give it a shot. Right. And, and the big surprise was, was how well these things worked. And that was kind of the premise for the first season. It always started with me getting a phone call going, do you want to come and do a gig in Bathurst in the basement of a bank? What? <laughs> and then we'd go and do it and it'd be fun. I love um, it. Yeah. And then for the second season, Bella Lyon, who basically uh, who, who commissioned the show, gave us a list of places they wanted us to go. So it was basically you know three in Newfoundland, three in Nova Scotia, three in uh, New Brunswick, and then obviously PEI. Right. Um, but they told us where we had to go. So the, the challenge actually was less. And by this point, of course, pretty much most of my set had been aired. So that's why I was like, right, I need to do new stuff. Um, just to answer your question, for, for, for the five, ten minutes of screen time, I would often try and of screen time of the actual gig. Obviously, mm-hmm. 20 minutes of the show would be us traveling to and from it or partying afterwards. Sure. But for the five to ten minutes of actual screen time, a lot of the time I would write jokes about the area having got there, but a lot of it would just come from stuff that naturally happened there. Like right. we would, I was in Anaganish, and I didn't realize that in Anaganish they all have these X rings that go with the, 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 the little there. kind of stick. Exactly, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. But I, it just freaked me out. They all held them up. I thought I'd been, like, kidnapped by some kind of pagan cult or something. <laughs> I was about to be murdered. I'm like, what the fuck is this? So, like, in that episode, my utter horror is... is um, I was actually doing that show with another Yuck Yuck's favorite called Mark Walker, who right. I love, and we always have a blast together. And, and, and so my horror in that, it, it looks like comedy, but it, it's genuine. I am just, like, going, what the fuck? Like, and, of course, that essentially becomes a three-minute bit. Right. But it was just what happened in the moment. Um, so the biggest challenge really actually was the fact that our premise was let's go to places that haven't ever had comedy before. Sure. Now, that, in, for the most part, it's a good thing. You go to Anaganish, they haven't had comedy before, they have, and it's not been for a while or whatever it was. But we were welcome with open arms. But the problem with, I would say, three or four of the places is they hadn't had comedy before because they don't fucking want it. Right. <laughs> so was, the, 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 the best example I can give was we decided to do one in a place called Port Elgin. And again, it's, this is a low-budget show. I'm, the, I'm doing all, everything from, right. from scouting the area, booking the venue, doing the deal, booking the act, sorting the travel, the hotels. Like, like I'm doing all of it. So I found this tiny place there. It was like a bar and grill, 40-seater. So I get in touch with them. We do the deal, blah, blah, blah. And I said, right, okay, we're going to be there whenever it was, in March. This was in January. And I said, put the tickets on sale Monday morning. Call me in the afternoon when it's sold out. Like 40-seat, easy sell-out. Three months later, I show up to the gig. I'm like, how many are sold? She goes, 19. (laughs) I'm like, how many sold 19 tickets in but of course, when you've got a town of 40 people, that would be like expecting 2 million people to come to a show in London. Exactly. Like, 100% turnout. Like, yeah, exactly. Like half the population aren't available. To all to um, um, so that, and my big thing was, was like the, and, and the producer director, John Borbley, would, would say to me, like, don't worry, you know, uh, we can fudge it. We can't, I'm like, no, no, no. We document it as it is. That was my big thing, was I wanted it to. I wanted the comedians to watch it and recognize the reality of a nightmare gig. I, sure. I, and again, I don't have a problem with these things, but I'm not a big fan of the, of the Netflix comedy specials, the, right. the super glossy, very we're going to laugh and yeah. cheer it. Yes, yeah, very polished. 
we're going to laugh and cheer at everything. Right. And, and, and it's very hard to, when you're watching those things to actually determine as a viewer what you're actually enjoying because the audience is whooping and cheering every joke. And that's the thing I find on in those things is it's all whooping and cheering. Like a whoop and a cheer isn't, a, isn't, isn't, an unco- isn't an uncontrollable bodily emotion. A laugh is. A laugh is un- uncontrollable. So to me, if I did a joke and everyone went, whoo, and clapped, right, right, I'd be like, well, that wasn't funny, though. Sure. Um, so I don't really, you know, and again, it's not to disparage those things. I mean, they, they have their place. But I, what I wanted us to document was to document the reality of stand-up. So when I do a joke in those places and it bombs or they don't understand it or I fumble a line or the whole front row is empty, then we put it all in like it's warts and all. And if right. anything, we, you know, make more of an effort to make it look shit than we do make it look good. Because <laughs> I, it, to me, I just I, I wanted it to function as a comedy show and be funny but more importantly i wanted it to function as a as a documentary series about the reality of life on the road for a stand-up (laughs) (laughs) but 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 on the flip side of that i mean you you've have i mean you brought comedy to a lot of places that have never really Mm. had an opportunity to have them and 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 to see on some of those episodes uh it's an amazing response i mean did you find a lot of the crowds to be a lot more appreciative of that De- definitely, yeah, and I, and you're right. I, I was going to wedding on the Bell one but you're right. I mean, th- th- some of them have just been absolutely beyond amazing. In right. the, you go to places, and and they haven't had comedy before. And again, there's, I would say amongst a lot of comedians, there's this kind of comedy snobbery where they often talk about audiences. It's like, oh, well, they're not. This isn't, you know, this audience didn't laugh because they're not a real comedy audience, or they're not savvy comedy goers. Now. The reason I found that to be a complete misnomer and, and, and untrue is that I would say 70% of the people I've performed to in the last year have never seen comedy before. Right. And I'm talking people in their 50s, 60s, 70s, never been to live stand-up before. Wow. And they've been the best possible audiences. And so um, that's amazing. I think, that, yeah, the fascinating thing, really, the only thing I've learned most this year is just that actually all of the rules that we write in our heads as comedians, like, oh, you know, high ceiling won't work, uh, uh, long room won't work, outdoors won't work, uh, you know, oh, the audience is too old, or the audience is too young. It, it, it's all bullshit. Like, yeah. ultimately, and I'm not saying it's all down, I'm not saying it's all down to, to, to the comedian, but really, if you go into any situation with with the right frame of mind, it can be amazing. And I, I went to a... Um, there's this there's this like phrase in rehab they use where it's like a look for the I can't remember exactly it's something like look for the great in everything sure. like walk through life and look for the great in everything so you walk down your road and you go look at the beautiful view look at the trees look at the and I always say that to me the ultimate thing is when I turn up at a club or a um a vineyard or a fucking broom cupboard or wherever whatever you know large theater beautiful comedy club or just or just down and out shithole that i'm playing <laughs> um i i arrive in those places and i i you know i i, I take the job very seriously I, I want to do well i want the audience to, to, to have a good time right but when i go in in my head i'm not stressing but what i'm doing is working everything else so i might go in i might say look actually and obviously, I wouldn't do this in a club because the clubs know what they're doing. But if I'm in a vineyard, I'm going to say, look, we need to bring the chairs right up here. The spotlight clearly needs to move. The stage needs to go there. We can't have it facing this way. Right. I'll do all of that stuff. And um, what I won't do is let that stress play through until I get on stage. So what I do is about five minutes before showtime, I basically switch off uh, from all of the worry. I do everything I can up to that point. And at that point on, what I do is look at what's great in the room. And only focus on that. So, yeah, even if 
at this point, I don't think that the stage is in the right direction or the spotlight is in the right spot. By that point, there's nothing that can be done. So what I then do is just focus on, wow, look, there's 70 people here. Yeah. Uh, you know, yes, it's a room that holds 5,000, but hey, we're going to, you know. It really is a matter of per, uh, perspective, though. I mean, I remember it, reading a book. Uh, yeah, I remember re- reading a book one time where, where I think, I don't know, I was probably in some type of a self-help phase in my life, but I think it was like a Tony Robbins yeah. book where he said, right. you know, when I first started doing talks and, and seminars, uh, I yeah. would stress out because I couldn't fill a room with 100 people. Uh, now yeah. I fill a stadium full of, you know, 60,000 people, and I'm still stressed because we don't have enough room. So it, right. it's, the stress right. is never going to go away. But it's really just like you said. I mean, it's how you look at it. And and to be able to have that gift to say, hey, listen, five, five minutes before showtime, I know I've done everything I can up until this point. Uh, the yeah. rest of it now I'm going to just start looking at the amazing things that are going to happen out of this. That's exactly yeah, it, right? I mean, and, and there's so many positive things. You know, I mean, I, you know, the one thing that I hope I never grow out of is just feeling privileged and, and lucky to, to be doing this job, you know, mm. and that's why I, I've never been, I, I don't like the, the dressing room complaining like that some people like to do. I'm, I'm, I'm not like, I, 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 tell up, I cannot believe the the you know the, the, this thing that I as a as a you know shy and and unpopular you know teenager and and even younger like eight nine ten I was listening to comedy tapes and records and watching VHS videos in my room of stand up comedy you know I used to, I was back then I was too scared to speak to boys in my class let alone girls like right, I was just right. I was just the, the, the shyest you know I watched these videos and I couldn't believe that these people. Who, who also seems to be misfits like me, but somehow were able to walk out on stage and make this room full of people laugh without seemingly any effort. They're, right. You know, it's this kind of um, bizarre dichotomy whereby they're doing this incredibly hard thing and racking through the Rolodex in their head for the next joke, but sure. looking like they're just having a conversation in the pub. And, and I used to watch that and just think, well, God, you know, if only I had the confidence to go and talk to this girl in my class. Right. But, oh, my God, what do these guys do? I mean, the fact that now, 30 years later, I'm, I'm actually doing that thing for a living, to me, is, uh, is, is always the greatest buzz. So, I, you know, to me, it, it's all living the dream. Like, like, people often use that phrase sarcastically, like you're on hour seven of a seven-hour drive down the highway to go and do a, go and do a gig in a, in a, in a ribs bar or something, <laughs> you know, and, 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 and you turn up and the, you're living the, live the dream and it's like, yeah, we actually are living the dream. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, you know, this actually is it. And I find that that attitude is, is definitely that positive attitude is definitely more prevalent amongst Canadian comedians um, than it is in England. And I guess to, again, to get philosophical, I don't know if it's even my place to say this, but I, I feel like, because in England there's this um, possible path to like extreme riches in right. in England, and and quite a few people have 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 made that made that journey. Like there, there are, you know, probably I would say there's more millionaire comedians in in England than probably almost any other country. Right. Like I'm, I I don't want to place a guess in it, but I'm going to say over 50 possibly right. which is a high uh, amount so it, it kind of does uh, attract a lot of uh, there's a lot of people that have become very careerist and very very um uh, uh ruthless in their right. in their past i i feel like because for the most part most canadian comics are aspiring to the dream that i've always had which is just to be a working comedian right. the, the the dream is just to be paid to do stand that's all we ever wanted and as a result the the um the atmosphere amongst Canadian comedians is absolutely, you know, second to none. I mean, it is just 
mind-blowing. And I feel like just in the last 18 months, I've made more... And I have some friends, people like Derek Sagan, who I've been friends with for, for 10 years. We, we, we met shortly after we both started doing stand-up. But that's mm -hmm. a friendship that, that's carried on. And I feel like him and, 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 and Mark Walker and Pete Zedlacher and all these guys, right. um, th th there's this real feeling that we are living the dream when we go and do shows together. Yeah. Um, and th that... Um, that rapport and that kind of that that spirit is right. is, is unlike anything that I, I, I felt uh, in England. And that, again, that's not to disparage English comedy scene at all, or indeed any of the wonderful people I worked with there. But I just feel like you know, I feel like the the, the comedian, the Canadian comedian friends I made in last year are guys that I want to be fucking buried with, right? right. You know, yeah. um, or, or or I will help them bury someone else. Like that's, you know, <laughs> like, like like whatever it is, right? That's, you know, we're in it together. It, 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 yeah, we're in it together, Daniel. I feel like I can call on always. I mean, that's the other thing. Like you know, when I gig in Montreal, I stay in in in, in Derek Sagan's house. He, he right. makes his makes his fourteen year old sleep on the couch so so I can have his, have his bed, you know, because that's how I roll. And <laughs> <laughs> um, you know that's a um, and and so you know and, it, and I, I don't know I, I often I often worry when I talk about this too much that again I don't want to be seen to be disparaging comedy scenes elsewhere right. but but I do genuinely believe and I did I said this at the Canadian Comedy Awards on stage that, that, that I do believe this is uh, the best comedy scene in the world just both in the, in in terms of talent and audiences um, but also uh, industry support but just right. also. Uh, the way in which comedians bond, and you know this. I mean, you spend you know most of the time with comedians. You you sure. you, 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 you see and, and feel that. Sure. Um, and and of course, you get that. You get. I mean, you see comedians at their at their happiest because right. the, the the Calgary Yucks is the one that I hear everyone looks forward to. Right. <laughs> right. Um, you know, that's the party one. Right? Right, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> you know, one of my favorite quotes from you, and it's funny that, that we got on on this topic, but. But uh, one of my favorite quotes is, is something you said, uh, quote, no five-year plan other than to be lucky enough to do exactly what I'm doing in five years. I hate comedians <laughs> who say they're sick of the road and want to get into films and TV to get out of the clubs. Forget that. I want to be playing clubs when I'm 80. And that's so that's such a remarkable quote, man, because it's that it's Thank that you. Uh, you, you can have all the success in the world. But, you know, I don't it's like uh, it's probably playing something like professional sports, you know, rugby yeah. or, or football or something. You know, the, the first time you step on that field, you just know that you're meant to be there. And there's no other yeah. feeling like that again in the world. It, all the TV shows, all the, you know, all the movies yeah. are all, you know, whatever you do, there's nothing like going back to stand up. And is that exactly. is that something that 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 you still feel like that that, that that's uh, uh, something that you you can't ever leave? Yeah, and and and, and possibly even more so. Like you know, I would say not like when I do other things. Um, all, all I want to do is come back to stand up, and it's and it's interesting. Like you know, not to say that they're not home. Generally, when you look at the 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 you, you see, I, I'm watching this road documentary about Ray Romano when he went back to doing stand up after everybody loves Raymond ended, sure. and he goes and does these big corporate shows. And he makes a comment afterwards that he was like, he's driving along. And of course, you know, this is one of those comments which can be taken two ways. But he kind of says, you know, he's like, I miss being handed like the, the check or being handed the, the cash. He's like, now I do one of those shows and the money just goes into the machine. And of right. course, his machine, you know, while that gig probably did pay him a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars, you know, that is eaten up. You know, there is a huge Ray Romano machine. There's probably 20 employees. Like, mm -hmm. that money is eaten up. And that's not to say, you know, oh, poor old Ray. Right. But, 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 it, but, but, but the excitement goes out of it when the money doesn't mean anything to them right. anymore. Absolutely. Um, 
And yeah, I mean, you know, to me, and it's interesting you use the sports analogy because, of course, the thing with the sports analogy is, no sooner have you, as a sportsman, realised your dream when you're at the peak of your uh, the peak of your game, mm-hmm. you're you know you've only got like five years left sure. <laughs> to do the thing that you love, right. and then for the rest of your life you've got to be on the fucking shopping channel selling a grill <laughs> or something, you know, <laughs> parading around in some outfit that you'd never wear just with your name on it, like like all of this. <laughs> Um, and and yet, yet this is one industry where you can just continue doing the, the thing that you love most yeah. forever. I mean, I listened to the to the Mike McDonald uh, interview you did, and, and he's just a perfect example of a guy that's just been at the top for years. Right. Like, like you know, um, he you know, and he obviously talks about times where he's where he's um, you know, obviously well, obviously physically, but 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 uh, emotionally kind of gone, you know. Um, uh, up and down, you know, obviously with, with, his, with his health issues and so forth. Right. But ultimately, in terms of his comedy cachet, he's always been at the top. Right. He's always been one of the best at what he does. Absolutely. And, and, and you know, that will continue to be the, you know, the man is, 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 is fighting fit now and he will continue to be doing that for, 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 for decades more. Right. Um, and I think that's why he's, you know, he's the, the, the king of Canadian comedy because he's both the king of Canadian comedy in terms of uh, his, his skills and his reputation, but also because we all aspire to that. Right. Um, I, I mean, it's funny. I mean, I mean that, that quote, I think I, it was something that Seinfeld said about, uh, Seinfeld said something about um, how, he read an interview once uh, with um, uh, a comedian who said, you know, that they wanted to get into films because they didn't want to still be getting up on stage in Milwaukee on a Tuesday night. And Seinfeld right. said, I do. That's exactly what I want to be doing. Right, and, right. Um, and obviously, you know, it's easy to kind of say, well, it's easy for Seinfeld to say that because he's got all the money. But I think the reason that he's been so successful and is still so respected is that I actually believe that, that he does mean everything he says. Hence the fact that this, I mean, yes, he's got more money than God, right. but this is a man that turned down basically every single Hollywood movie of the 80s and 90s. I mean, I mean, I mean, he, he could have, you know, when then he could have been in anything. Um, he turned it all down because he's a stand-up. He's never, he doesn't understand why anyone would. So really, he is someone that has always put the craft first. Right. And, right. and also hence the fact he could only play arenas if he wanted, but he doesn't. He chooses, and I did speak to him about this. He said that his ideal audience size is between two and 3,000. Right. So that's what he plays. Wow. Um, you know, he's someone that, and of course, again, he could be trotting out the same old material every year. He doesn't. He workshops it and makes it good. And, and, right. and you know, I think that's why he's, I mean, he's definitely a hero of mine just because he's someone that just loves the craft like we all do. Yeah, definitely. Like these moments of, of just you know, like when, when reality hits, and I know that you've probably gone through this before. And, and, mm. and even being like someone like myself that's come from a different country and, and you know, you're, mm. you're here, you're at the house, the, you know, away from the comedy, away from the scene, the kids are at school, the wife's at work and you're by yourself. Yeah. Do you ever look down that driveway and say, what the fuck am I doing in Canada? And I have to shovel this bitch like with the, cause I know you talk about shoveling the steep yeah, ass yeah. driveway in the house yeah, you bought. Yeah. And I'm like, I've been in that situation. Um, I got that shovel out there and it's minus 30. And I'm like, what? am i doing here what the yeah, hell like, did, yeah, what, what was i thinking <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i mean you're right yeah i mean the day the day when i tried to shovel the driveway with a with a with a you know a window scraper was definitely a day that i don't want to repeat um but um i mean and and, and you know it's it, it's an odd one because i 
I almost feel like I'm obliged to say that there were some days when I thought, what the fuck, and why did I... Um, but but in, in all honesty, I know this does sound ridiculous, but it's never really been a... Um, uh, there's never really been a moment that I've seriously missed something about England. And, I mean, obviously people, that, right. that you know, they're, they're, you know uh, friends and family and so forth. But the amazing thing, and again, I don't want to let the secret out of the bag, right. but the amazing thing about places like New Brunswick and the city like St. John that, that, I, that I now live in is that it has everything that sure. I wanted and, and or missed in London. So actually, when I moved here, I didn't know that. I moved here thinking it wasn't quite as ahead as I, as, as I now know it is. So, for example, I thought that I'd be sat here going, oh, I wish, I wish I could get my hands on some, you know, some good lager. I wish I could get my hands... On, on some, I mean, English delicacies like salad cream and marmite. And I, right. I wish I could go to the local pub. Uh, I wish there was a nice little venue that I could try at New Material. All, all of those things that I thought I was going to miss, I found here. Um, and of course, you know, same thing, you know, in England, I, I had access to very, very good photographers. And I was like, oh, there won't be any good photographers there. And now I've discovered photographers as good, if not better, than, than I worked with there. Right. And so it's all of, all of those things. So, and, and it sounds, I, I'm often worried that it sounds like I'm, I'm pandering, but, but, but genuinely, there's not been anything. And, and actually, when I go back to London, every now and again, I might go, oh, well, this is, this was nice. Like I was there, I was there working on a film a couple of months ago. Well, two months ago I was there and I was in a pub and it wasn't packed with people and it wasn't aggressive and full of just nice shit going on. And I was like, this is actually quite nice. I don't remember this. And I realized it was bank holiday weekend. Everyone was away. Yeah, so yeah, it, yeah, yeah. in the brief moment when I saw actually this isn't as bad as I remember, there was a reason for it. It's because, you know, 70% of the city wasn't there. Um, so uh, basically, I came here with a list of things that I was going to miss um, from whether it's products or things or types of people or places. And, and in all honesty, I found all of those things here. And that combined with the other stuff, which I would never have been able to have in England, like a view of the water, uh, you, know, uh, you know, woods behind the house, right, all of that stuff. Right. It's, um, yeah, it, it, it's quite insane. So, yeah, it, it, the honest answer is I, I miss absolutely nothing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You know, James, you've, you've made, you know, you've already made such an incredible mark on, on comedy. I mean, even the short time that you've been in Canada, you, you. you've bought, you've brought comedy to so many places. And I'm sure that you've lightened a lot of lives. If, if it were all to end tomorrow, what, what would you want to be re- remembered for? That's a good question. I mean, you know, I guess it sounds, um, I guess it sounds twee to be saying, uh, do you mean career wise? Sure. I mean, just even the like personality when, when, when people think about James Mullinger, what, what do you want them to think of? I mean, I mean, really, all, all I've ever wanted to be, you know, you know, is, is, is all I've ever wanted to be is, is a good stand-up comedian. Like that's what I wanted to be as a kid. That's what, uh, I'm, I'm proud of being now, and and you know I take, um, I, I, you know, all comedians say this, but I do take the audience's um, uh, responses very seriously. Like if someone writes to me after the show and says that they were they, they enjoyed the show or they were offended by something that I said or something, I do take that seriously. And I mean, I mean, I might I might think fuck them, right. but equally, um, depending on what it is, but I I will think about it because my. Um, Essentially, uh, it, this job is it's, it's the, the reason that I think that in comedy clubs, you know, we all bond whether whether you're, you're, you're door staff or servers or kitchen or anything else is that we're all in the service business. We mm-hmm. all want to serve, and 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 it's in all of our interest to um, please our customers. And really, that is that 
to me is it. Like while there's other things, you know, whether it's, you know, of course, you know, everyone wants to remember for being a good dad. I'm, I'm, I'm obviously proud of, you know, charity work that I do and all the rest of it. But, right. but to me, I think all of those things, like if I died tomorrow and there was an obituary written in the newspaper, it could go on and on about being oh, what a wonderful father he was and he raised X amount of money for charity. But I would be pissed off if it didn't say this guy was a good comedian because really fuck the family fuck the charities it's all about the comedy <laughs> <laughs> i think i'm gonna get that tattooed on my chest man i think i'm gonna go get that tattooed today what a great quote man you can find james mullinger on twitter at james mullinger you got a you got a second live dvd coming out man let's uh, uh exactly, let's yes, do some plugs here Thank you. Yeah, it's called London of Tamara Timer. Uh, we filmed it last week uh, at the Imperial Theatre. It went way better than I could have even imagined. I was in the edit this morning. Um, we It's one of those things where we put a lot of money into it. We hired crane cameras. We hired, we had like a crew of eight people. You know, we, we, we went to town to make it good. It's one of those things you go into a show that big. Right. And normally that, that's enough. That's enough. You know, that, that's good for the kids to live on for a couple of months. Sure. But, you know, I, I, wanted, I wanted it to look great i want the dvd to be great so the kids are going to be hungry but the dvd is going to be awesome nice <laughs> <laughs> oh man i love it and of course um, you've got the website you've got james mullinger.com uh and of yeah. course uh, the star of uh, blimey englishman.com yeah and it's all yeah they're all and all the episodes are there free to watch anywhere in the world but i mean the one thing you know um, people listening, like if you if you listen to this before the end of this month, please do come and uh, and, and hang out at the Toronto Yuck Yucks, and and hopefully I'll be at the Calgary one again soon. That's oh gonna man, be where you know, that's, I, yeah, that's the one. oh, it's a it's a fantastic <laughs> club, and uh, yeah. You know what? And, and if I'm ever uh, out there again, I recently went to Halifax. I you know went out there to visit, and I know New Brunswick is just a hop and a skip away. And uh, it, yeah, it's uh, I, I would love to come and watch you. And and of course, uh, you know, people, I strongly, strongly urge people to go and check out those episodes online. The comedy is genius. The the build up to the show and the the travels. You know, you guys in the car on the road. It's uh, it's it's amazing, man. And you know what, James? This uh, interview was one I've been looking forward to for a long time. And it, it, it was it was uh, just as fantastic as I thought it was going to be, if not better. Oh, thank you so much, Mike. Well, it, it, as I say, it's been a genuine honor talking to you. I've, li- I've listened to all of your stuff, and it is not many people that know uh, the inner workings of a comedian's mind better than you. So honestly, it's been a, a genuine honor to talk to you, and I cannot wait for us to hang out yeah. either in New Brunswick or in Alberta. Absolutely, <laughs> man. Well, hey, thanks again for coming on the show, James, and uh, best of luck, and, and we will see you again very soon. Thanks again, my friend. Awesome. Cheers, Jake. Take care, mate. Have a you good too. Day. All right, right. Bye. Bye-bye. All right, there you have it, kids. James Mullinger, stand-up comedian and a Brit living in New Brunswick, Canada now. What an amazing guy. Didn't I tell you that was going to be an awesome interview? I cannot say enough good things about James Mullinger. Check him out on Twitter, at James Mullinger. And, of course, his website, jamesmullinger.com. And, of course, on behalf of all the people here at Yuck Yucks that make this podcast possible, on behalf of myself, Jake Hirsch, your host, Mr. Mark Breslin, the executive producer herself, Ms. Kira Williams, and, of course, the webmaster who makes it all possible, the brains behind the operation, Camille. Thanks for tuning in, folks. we got some great comedy interviews lined up coming up. Stay tuned. We'll see you next week.